In late November, Nevada County Superior Court announced the appointment of a new county judge to replace a vacancy created by Judge Candace Heidelberger's retirement. The news release said Alyssa Bierkel would step into the role. Superior Court judges are elected. However, if a vacancy occurs that doesn't coincide with an election cycle, for example, in this case, due to Judge Heidelberger's retirement, the governor appoints a new judge. Judge Bierkel will serve the remainder of Heidelberger's term and then will run for election in 2026, with the new six-year term beginning in January of 2027. This is a bit of a homecoming for Judge Bierkel, who was born and raised in Truckee. Judge Alyssa Bierkel sat down with me in the KVMR studio on the morning of her swearing-in ceremony, the day before her first day at the new job. As we're recording this, you're getting ready to start your new job. What's the role of a Nevada County Superior Court judge? Yeah, I think the role is, first and foremost, to serve the community. And to do that within the confines of the law, right? Because there are a lot of rules about a lot of stuff. Um, and I think the the role really is to give everyone their day in court, to make sure the process is clearly explained, and to, you know, at least hear everybody out and make decisions that are not just in accordance with the law, but where people can feel that they were treated justly and fairly. Can you speak about the appointment process? The appointment process is a bit lengthy. I um, I did submit an application for appointment in October of 2021. It was um, several months later. I heard uh, that the local, the governor has kind of local committees in the community that do investigations, kind of preliminary investigations on potential candidates. And I heard that was going on. And then I kind of didn't hear anything for about a year and until I got a notice from the governor's office that a more formal investigation and a more deeper dive into who I was, my background, was going to take place. And that process is, a, is much more involved. It involves an interview. It involves the governor's office talking to opposing counsel on all the cases that I've been litigating over the past um, 10 years or so, getting their input on what it would, whether or not I would be a good person to sit on the bench. And after that process, it's again kind of silence for a while until you get a call from the governor's office. In October, I got the call from the governor's office that um, that things were going to move along, and everything has been moving just so incredibly quickly since then. You did your undergrad at UC Santa Barbara and then attended California Western School of Law in San Diego. And while there, you got involved with the California Innocence Project. Yeah, so California Innocence Project is a firm that's housed inside of a law school that investigates and litigates claims of innocence. So people who were sent to prison for crimes that they did not commit. Being raised up in Nevada County, I I don't think I was exposed too much to the issues of wrongful convictions. And when I learned about that problem, it really kind of ignited a fire inside of me that I felt I needed to get involved. Um, so upon graduating, I became a lawyer for, for the firm, and I have done that ever since um, until this transition. You served as litigation coordinator and as a DNA expert for the California Innocence Project. What were those roles like for you? My role as litigation coordinator was to manage all of the active cases we had going on. And when I say active, it could be anything that had been filed in court, whether it was a discovery motion, 
whether it was a motion to find out whether DNA evidence existed that could be tested, or whether it was an actual motion to vacate someone's conviction. Um, as far as the, the DNA component of my kind of expertise, I had, you know, working for a nonprofit like the California Innocence Project, we didn't have a lot of money. And I would be begging people to, you know, give us money so I could consult with a DNA expert to get some answers on, on DNA aspects of a case. And at some point kind of early on in my career, I thought, well, why don't I just learn everything there is to learn about forensic DNA? And then I can skip that step and skip the, you know, bake sales raising money so that I could hire a DNA expert to consult with. And so I developed an expertise in DNA so that as a lawyer, I myself could actually do these reviews of DNA cases. What made you interested in criminal law in particular? I would say I've always had this desire to be involved in criminal law. It, it, growing up, I was like obsessed with those shows, the Law and Order ones, CSIs. I I truly like love those. It's funny because I can't even watch them anymore because once you're actually in the know, it's a little bit different. Were you always drawn to the defense side of litigation or did you also have interest in prosecution? I originally wanted to go on the prosecution side. That is the side that appealed to me most. I always envisioned myself going that direction if I went into criminal law. Luckily, I've got ended up in a situation where it's almost as if I play both roles because when you're working in a, a nonprofit firm and people are claiming innocence, there's a lot of kind of false claims that are coming through. So here I am acting as the person of being like, nope, not this one, or yes, maybe this one, or nope, not this one. And so I kind of had a very unique role of playing really neither a defense attorney nor a prosecutor, but but this, I don't know, kind of quasi-both role. In 2013, you walked from San Diego to Sacramento to protest the incarceration of 12 inmates and raise awareness for the wrongly convicted. You ended up presenting 12 clemency petitions for those inmates to Jerry Brown, who was California's governor at the time. The walk took 55 days, and you covered 712 miles. How did this idea come to be, and what was the walk like? The idea came about uh, because I have this wonderful boss and mentor named Justin Brooks, and we had a number of cases that we truly believed in the individual's innocence, and we even had evidence of innocence to back it up. But for one reason or another, we could not win those cases. You've heard of people, you know, maybe getting um, out on a technicality. These were people who were being kept in on a technicality, people who had missed filing deadlines, and all of a sudden their claim of innocence cannot be heard. Um, and so we decided Let's do, since the court system is not going to be able to help because of these different laws and procedural barriers, let's ask the governor for clemency because the clemency process is supposed to be kind of this fail safe, you know, this catch all when everything else doesn't work, you can ask for clemency. And we had over a period of time really tried to connect with the governor's office and we're getting a bit of radio silence from them. And my boss thought, well, you know what? And he's always been a big think outside the box. He says, you know what? Let's do something extreme. Let's get these clemency petitions and we're going to walk them from our office to their office. And we're going to drum up a bunch of noise in the meantime. And we're going to get the media involved. And we're going to, you know, we're really going to get attention not only on these cases, but for wrongful convictions in general. And so we started walking. And by the time we got to Los Angeles, we had all the media out there on the Santa Monica Pier, and we got a call from the governor's office, and they're like, okay, you've got your meeting. 
And the it was me and my boss, Justin, and another coworker, Mike Semanchik, and we were looking at each other saying, do we just fly up there now or do we keep walking? But all of us, when we commit to something, we see it through to the end. And so we just kept on walking and we walked all the way straight to the Capitol. The California Innocence Project's website says part of their mission is to work to reform the criminal justice system and train law students to become zealous advocates. What's it like now being a judge in a justice system that has come under increasing scrutiny in the past several years and that many, such as the California Innocence Project, claim needs to be reformed? Yeah, you know, there's the policy changes that went about through the California Innocence Project were heavily focused on innocent prisoners, mostly to make it easier for innocent people to prove their innocence and then to also compensate them for their time being wrongfully convicted. Because those two things used to be incredibly hard to do and they really shouldn't be. And so those types of changes, you know, in a way it was a privilege to just be involved in a minor change to make the, the system better. I think being a judge too, you know, I will be playing a part of making the system just a little bit better, too, on a daily basis by really providing a fair opportunity for everyone to present their side of the story, for me to make decisions that hopefully help people resolve the conflicts that they have. Because nobody wants to come to court, (laughs) you know? And so if I can be some sort of assistance to litigants or to defendants in helping turn things around, I absolutely want to do that. In your experience, what makes a good judge? I think one of the better qualities a judge can have is empathy. And I think that's really important because every decision that a judge makes is going to impact somebody's life, usually in a very profound manner. And so with empathy, to be able to recognize that this decision is going to impact maybe not just the individual in front of you, but their family members or their friends or or their children, that that's really important to be able to empathize with litigants that are coming before you. How do you separate personal politics from professional decisions when you're on the bench? For me, I was raised in a family that was not political at all. So it's interesting because I didn't, I, I wouldn't say that I was Really, I've never been super involved in in politics just because of the way that I was raised. And so for me, I don't think it's going to be a challenge at all to disassociate from, from you know, having any sort of politica, political activity. Are there any cases from your time working at the California Innocence Project that stand out more than others? There, every case is so unique in and of itself. The one case that was probably the biggest case of my entire career was the Brian Banks case. And that was a high school football player out of Long Beach that was falsely accused of rape. And the case made national news because he was a star football player and he was on his way to one of the elite colleges to play football. And it he was 16 years old at the time. It completely derailed his entire life. Um, so when his conviction was reversed and he was exonerated with the cooperation of the prosecutor's office, it really kind of blew up. And so it was a very chaotic period of my life where there were multiple interviews going on. There was a movie made about the case, in fact, and it's called Brian Banks. But um, it was that is the case that will always be the one that was you know, just so unique in so many ways. Does someone play you in the movie? Yeah, yeah, someone did. 
Did they consult with you at all? The yeah, no, she she did. She actually came down to the office and followed me around for about a week. And and it, she was really tremendous. At one point, she could even walk the same way that I walk. I kind of have this, for lack of a better word, this like military type style of walking. And even on the walk up to Sacramento, I never was able to change it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, she could do my walk. She could do the, my mannerisms. She was very, very good actress. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Kelly Reese for KVMR News.